the fourth be with you, and welcome everyone to another episode of Krypton to Alderaan. Judge it by its size, do you? And well, you should not. For today, my ally is Royish Good Looks, Star Wars parody songwriter and YouTube sensation, with over 75 million views, over 100,000 YouTube subscribers, and now with his very own podcast, the Royish Good Looks podcast. But who was he before all that? What was his journey like? How did he go from Anakin to Vader, taking over not the galaxy, but the internet? as well as our ears and our hearts. Join us to find out as we talk about music, Star Wars, friendship, kazoos, and didgeridoos on this episode of Krypton 2 Alderaan. Here we go. Royish good looks himself in the flesh, so to speak. Your podcast, the Royish Good Looks podcast. Obviously, it chronicles your journey from YouTube fame stemming from Hello from the Dark Side, your Star Wars parody of Adele's Hello, obviously. But I'd like to take us to a time before that, or I'd like to at least start us there. Our our prequel era, if you will. (laughs) Um, Not necessarily a galaxy far away, but a long time ago in central New York, let's say. So you've given some early history on your podcast as far as your introduction to music, your first instruments, your lessons, your first band or bands. Where did all that, I want to start by asking, where did all that come from? You don't really get into that on the podcast yet anyway. Were your parents musicians? What were Where was the musical inspiration, I guess, in the family? It's funny because after I posted that learning to play music, learning to be a musician episode, the first thing I realized was like, oh, I left this out and that out. That's happened like every episode so far where I'm like, damn, I should go back and put that thing in or put that in a part two. The biggest thing I think I left out from the learning how to be a musician episode was for sure my father would sit down in the living room and he'd have like a classical acoustic guitar and he'd be playing like James Taylor tunes or like police tunes. He's like an old hippie. So (laughs) folky kind of stuff like that. Police isn't folky, but stuff you can noodle around on an acoustic guitar with some of the like reggae police songs. I forget the one that he used to do all the time. I won't be able to think of the name of it. I'll have to Google it. But anyway... (laughs) He'd be playing songs like on the guitar and he wasn't like in a band. Like, I don't think he was in school bands. I think he might've had like some singer songwriter gigs when he was in college, but he's not in the music business. He's not a musician by trade, but yeah, he was always sitting around playing the guitar and that for sure had an influence on me. I don't remember any times he would like show me how to play something he was playing though, but I would definitely watch him like this police riff that I'm humming in my head. I know it from him playing it. I don't, I don't right. even know the song. It's something about the bed. The bed's too big without you. Something like that. <laughs> Classic police. Yeah. They repeat that 70 times. It, that's exactly it. I only know yeah. the one riff, so that's probably the only riff in the song. But he was always playing stuff. My mom didn't play a ton of music at home, but she played a little bit of guitar. She is huge into like the campfire sing-along thing. She's like the Girl Scout leader, the like hiking trip kind of person. You bring an acoustic guitar on the trip 
and you sing campfire songs at night. So she'd always be able to play those kind of like, again, like folky era stuff. They're hippies, you know? Acoustic guitar <laughs> and a little doobie. And, uh-huh. <laughs> and I think she played saxophone when she was in school, but she's not a musician by trade either. But that was there that like some sort of musical seed was like in the household. And then my brothers, which I've definitely yeah. brought up a ton on the podcast. And I feel a little bit like, like I'm the youngest brother of three. So everything I am is like a, I just stole something from them. Like they were into music before me. They were into all the bands that I liked before I was into them sort of thing. So yeah, it's a, it's a familial thing, music. Yeah, and something that's really interesting that you bring up and that I've always been in awe of, I don't know if it's common among musicians or what, but you, you said yourself, like you, you have a great ear for music and you can just hear a thing once and then play it on any, almost any given instrument. So I wonder if that stems from the early, you know, like you said, listening to your dad play the music in the living room or your mom around the campfire or what. Your brothers are both musicians. For those of you who don't know, it's Rob, Russ, and Royce. <laughs> uh, do your brothers have that talent as well? Are they able to create music that way? Uh, for sure. Russ has a really great ear, and we've done a lot of musical stuff together. By the time this episode of You and I is out, I don't think that Russell have been on the show yet, but that's definitely on the list of things to do is like talk about writing music with him. And yeah, he's got an ear. He can figure out songs. He's not as like obsessively nerdy about it as I am. Mm-hmm. And you can have a really great ear, but you still have to sort of study like the theory stuff and like nitty gritty and tie those two together if you really want to like get the most out of it. But he does have a good ear and he knows some theory stuff as well. Uh, but I've like, I'm dorkier about it than him. I'm the classic band geek. Right. And Rob as well. Like he was the original musician in the family, he started the band that Russ was then in, the Fallout Boys. This will come up on the That's Roy podcast. But <laughs> they were in a ska band together and it was Rob's band. I think this is like the joke Rob will always tell is like, they'd be nothing without me as the oldest yeah. brother sort of thing. So yeah, they've all got, and they, they were in school band. So like we all got some sort of formal music training at some point and we all have the same parents. So whatever like that passed down to me certainly went to Russ and Rob too, you know? Right. And you did mention piano lessons right around the time the Star Wars, uh, the special editions of Star Wars were coming out. Now we're going to talk, I think a lot about Star Wars or the influence that that had on us, but was there someone, how did you get into Star Wars? Who introduced you? Were were any other members of your family Star Wars fans? See, this is hard to pinpoint because like I, I would have been six, seven-ish, you know, around the time of the special editions. Right. But it's like, I don't, you don't remember that stuff exactly. Like, oh no, it was this person that handed me that VHS tape. I think it was just that they re-released them in the theater and I went to see them in the theater with my dad. So Mm -hmm. I guess like, I'm kind of like making up the story as I might remember it would be like going to see it literally in the theater as they released it with my dad. We'd always go go to see movies together, drive-ins and shit. Like, that was our thing. So I assume that's just having the re-release of the special editions, period. Like, Star Wars was everywhere. But again, Rob was, like, into sci-fi and music and punk and stuff. So he's that influence on me for sure as well. And, like, we had all the video games and stuff. Like, Star Wars was in the household just as much as music was. Right. And then you're playing 
Like we did a whole episode here on Krypton Alderaan about Star Wars music. Like right. if you haven't listened to that one, go listen to that one where we like celebrate Star Wars music. Even when you're just playing the, the video games, the theme songs and stuff are like pushing you along in it. So there's all of that culminating together around that same time period. And being six or seven, that movie is playing a role and putting an impression onto me. And so is the music from that. And also the ska punk music of the mid to late 90s. <laughs> yeah. Did you have a conscious connection to the music of Star Wars at that point? Did it did something click for you? I mean, you go on to create Star Wars music. But at that point, like you said, you were very young watching the special editions. Were you able to pick out and be like, whoa, this music is incredible? Or was it just kind of all this Star Wars experience? Yeah, I think it was more of a subconscious thing. Obviously, the music was incredible. But I don't think I was like, hey, the music in this movie is really cool. I should be a musician. There was no way that was the thought process. Right. But like I said, like at some point, my parents were like, you're going to take piano lessons. So what do you learn in lessons? Like you learn all the dorky like C major scale. And right. like you learn all that fundamental piano stuff. But then like you have beginner piano books. You play like super cheesy, like one little melody with like a beep, boop, beep, boop, bass line. <laughs> and once you learn enough of that, then it's time to learn real music. And I think I was lucky enough that like the Star Wars music existed and I liked Star Wars that I got the beginner Star Wars sheet music, you know? And again, those worlds now collide and now I'm learning right. the music from the film. Yeah. In my head canon, I picture a little like anime version of Royce with big swelling eyes watching the special <laughs> editions and with a little like thinking, I'm going to make a Jar Jar Binks song someday. <laughs> Dude, it is really weird to look back in retrospect. <laughs> like, it, if you can get in the time machine and tell that young kid he's going to end up doing this, it, that's pretty crazy to think that that all becomes full circle. Yeah. But it, it was not at all planned. It was just cool that I was able to learn music that I was already sort of interested in. There was no way I was going to go to piano lessons and they were going to teach you, like, the police. Like, that's... Right. Maybe some people learn that in their piano lessons, but... Star Wars sheet music was at least sort of like a reputable thing. John Williams being a real composer. It's not like, here's not a place so lonely on the piano. <laughs> no, but that's a really interesting point that, um, that maybe we should get into that you bring up in your podcast, sort of the traditional way of teaching music and how you maybe weren't really receptive to learning that way. And that's not how you teach today. Like you do teach the police if someone wants to learn the police and that's how you teach the music instead of being like, practice your scales. So I think that's a really interesting sort of insight into your teaching method, right? Like you learned how you didn't want to be taught. And so you don't apply that to teaching music today. Yeah. Well, I mean, anything you're going to learn, like you have to be inspired by it. And right. aside from having like a teacher or a professor, that's like a Neil deGrasse Tyson that you're just like, wow, you're making like this mundane topic so interesting. And now I care about it. Like you have to have a really good teacher, period, that knows their stuff and can kind of captivate the student. So for those that don't know, like I teach beginner and e intermediate music lessons as a side gig, basically. Piano lessons, ukulele, guitar lessons. When someone says they want to learn a musical instrument, you have to teach them that fundamental stuff. Like here's how you hold it. Don't hold it like this. Well, that's comfortable. <laughs> I want to hold it like that. No, you, you want to hold it like this. And there are those very strict, like I mentioned in my show, like the classical kind of training. Like here's how 
You need to do it to do it properly. There's a lot of those things, but all that stuff is not fun. Side note, my father wanted to take violin lessons at one point. And the story he tells is he went to one lesson and the first lesson was how to hold the damn thing. Guess how many lessons he took? One. No more after that. (laughs) But that's, dude, that is what being a musician is. There's a lot of this stupid stuff you have to learn if you want to truly be great at it. Like I said, anybody can pick up a guitar and play a couple of chords, but it's hard to master. I'm not saying I've mastered it, but you do have to have those fundamentals. Now, if you're going to stick with it, the first lesson can't just be holding the damn instrument. So a lot of the times if someone comes in and they're taking a lesson for the first time, they're like feeling it out with guitar, especially like it hurts to play like the strings, like they shred your fingers. They leave these like indentations in your hand gets all cramped up. So if you're like 10 years old or younger, like it's no fun. It's literally no fun. But if you're like, what's your favorite song? Not every kid has a favorite song. So that's kind of tough for like kids can be shy. So you can't really correlate that. You have to figure that out. But if they have a favorite movie and you know the theme music, like it's Pirates of the Caribbean, that's got an awesome little melody you can play. So then you teach that to the kid, like in the first lesson or like a truncated version of that so that they can have, they learn something that they already like know, you know, like you have to connect the dot somehow. And that's what sucks about lessons is if you put, here's how you hold it. Here's the scale. Now go home and practice the scale. Why? I don't want to practice the scale. <laughs> go, go clean your bedroom. Why? I don't want to clean my bedroom. Well, there's all right. these advantages to it, but you just don't understand it yet. Sure. And then I'm going to go out on too many tangents here, so you got to stop me. But it's a, like a whole journey. And I tried to get this across in that episode of my show that you're not going to stop learning new things or getting better at, at those fundamentals. Like playing the scale, the reason that's important on things like guitar or the piano, it teaches you the fingering, like how to get up and down eight notes on a keyboard with only five fingers. So maybe this is how Neil deGrasse Tyson would teach that lesson. You got to play eight notes in succession with a five-fingered hand and Mm -hmm. do it nice and smooth. There's a proper way to do that. And the scale itself isn't the greatest solo you could play, but once you learn that fingering, now you understand how you can apply that to other melodies and stuff. Yeah, I... Personally, for me, you and someone else tried to teach me how to play like the keyboard or the piano in college, right? You and I were heavy into Jack's Mannequin at that point. So you were like, just play, learn this Jack's Mannequin song and play it. And the other person who was trying to teach me was like scales and practice. And this is the way your hands move and stuff. And I thought that that's the way you were supposed to be taught music, right? Like I had piano lessons as a kid and that's what it was taught and that's what turned me off. And it's why I don't play now because I didn't listen to you. Should have just been like, yeah, let me play Dark Blue instead of like learning my scales. Yeah, it's funny that you say that. Like I'm sure that's a lot of people's experience that they started piano lessons and the piano teacher was too harsh on them or too strict or whatever, so they quit. And like imagine if every musician quit You know, like, because you had to be trained in that one aspect. And I'm sure a lot of amazing musicians have formal training, but then they they figured out how to, like, practice on their own, you know? And, like, even though your lessons may be rigid, like, you still have to experiment and, like, grow at your own pace and tie those two things together. It sucks that if your lessons turn you off. We all want to, like, become a shredding guitar player after one lesson. That's the other thing. You're like, how come I didn't learn how to play this song today? Yeah. 
well, like you said, you're like, can you even play the scale? So you have to do both. It's hard to balance that. Yeah, I want a super popular podcast after like making one or 20 episodes. Right. It's the same thing. We just want instant gratification. But let's move along. I want to get into, I guess, what I would consider your and my original trilogy era. <laughs> when we meet and, and, and what we experience, especially music from our college careers together. I think probably it took us a long time to bond over Star Wars. I'm not even sure when we first realized that we were both such big fans of Star Wars, but I think it took a while. But the first conversation we ever had, even before we met, was about music. And we really didn't bond over that either, more or less. <laughs> we, we had very different tastes. But regardless of that, we met up in college and got to know each other. But one of the first things you did as we got to know each other was you wrote me a song about Superman. Probably I showed up and I was a giant nerd and I talked about Superman all the time. It was like the height of Smallville. So you wrote me a song about Superman called Last Son of Krypton. And we're going to talk as we go on here, we're going to talk about how your taste, I don't want to say changed, but maybe like evolved and how that's represented in the music that you make. But that first introduction to you and the music that you create by writing Last Son of Krypton, I mean, it was such a reflection of who you were at the time. It was like hardcore and rough. I don't think it's unfair to say that you were like a little bit hardcore and intense when we first <laughs> met. Um, so I think it's really interesting that you created that song at that time. We're going to talk about the rest of the journey, but what were you pulling from creating that song? Uh, okay, so I, I hope I can dig it up. Now you're really putting me on the spot that we can play a little clip of it so people know. I wouldn't say it was that hard of a song, but like, so this is, <laughs> oh. <laughs> this would have been 2008 is when we we met. Yeah. And it was like, I don't know, I guess you could call it like the height of the emo like screamo era or like at least coming off of that or around that time, like fallout boy, Hawthorne Heights and other cliche bands of that nature. I don't right. know what inspired that particular song, but yeah, was there like screaming in it? I don't think there was necessarily screaming, but it was very like rough. It was a, you know, it was just like a strong song, very like intense. It was very I don't know how to describe it, but it was it had this like shell around it. And that's I just I consider that such a reflection of you at that time. Yeah, I would say like one, it's in like a minor mode. It's like drop D on the guitar, like dun, 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 dun. right. It's kind of evil sounding. But I thought that that kind of spoke to like the last son of Krypton. That should be like an epic thing. Minor is a little bit more epic than major. But in general, dude, I wrote like a lot of angsty, like 2008, I was 19 or 18, 19 then. And right. I wrote a lot of teen angsty emo music. That was my thing. So that's just what you got at the time. I also wrote a lot of like <laughs> candy pop stuff or like love songs. And I think I spanned the gamut, but yeah, it was angsty and emo. And also like, <laughs> The lyrics are jokey. Like a lot of my music was never really serious or even if it was serious, it wasn't like a real story. It was like just made up story, made up lines that just sounded right. I had plenty of songs, even if it was like verse one, chorus, verse two, like that entire lyrical thing was like 
not didn't exist. It was just a made up bunch of lyrics to sing something to. That's all. Right. So the lyrics of that were corny. Yeah. I don't know if they're corny. I mean, it's fun. If I if I could find it on my computer, I'd be listening to it all the time. It was just such a I just attribute that song to your personality when we first met. Funny. But I think the first time we actually bonded over music was Jonathan Colton. Before either of us even knew who he really was. Like I said, I was a nerd. I had Portal, uh, the video game. I was playing it in our dorm room and I beat it and we listened to that song. And you've said on your podcast several times that he's a big influence for you. And just from that experience or that early on, was there something about his music that clicked for you? I don't think we were really, we had a lot back then. I think we listened to mostly Still Alive and re your brains but (laughs) yeah i don't know like i remember you playing the still alive portal song i don't know if we started listening to like his music proper though but you're like the end of this crazy video game there's this song that plays and it's like the character (laughs) in the game that was just wild that was genius such genius marketing for a video game to have like a post-credit scene basically that was a song dude it's so smart and a song that people want to play over and over again so like it makes so much sense that they did that. And it's so cool that Jonathan Colton, starving artist at the time, like built his career off of that dumbass video game. It's crazy, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. That song, it's like a very odd song. Like even when he plays it, like it has this like odd melody and like key change within it. And it's one of these moments that like, I'm not good with that particular type of music theory. Like whatever he does, he has a melody and you can sing along with it. But if, if the song's not on, it's like hard to sing the melody because he goes to one special little note and then you're mm. in this new world. And I can sit down and, and figure it out now. But that's one of those moments where I'm like, how did he do that? What did we, we're in a new world now. He went from verse two to verse three. And then we're like up. Like, I know the key changed, but I don't know how he did it. And right. I think that's what made me really care about that silly song. And then Jonathan Colton in general, it wasn't like, any other like top 40 radio song where like, ah, I could do that 100%. Like as long as I have the right inspiration and the right lyric, that's no trouble. He had something special that was like a little bit different and quirky. And it really fit well for that video game. All of his other songs tend to have that like moment in them too, where it's not cookie cutter. He, like you mentioned with John Williams, occasionally he goes left field with something. Right. Like that's, that's that left field thing where you're like, It's a regular pop song, but he sneaks in this extra kind of like upper level thinking that you're like, you have Mm -hmm. to, you have to be a little bit more enlightened to appreciate it fully. Or otherwise you're like me and you're like, what just happened? I don't know what happened, but it was cool. You know? Right. He's, he's talented. Yeah. He's really great. And similarly around the same time, Shmoyoho, the Gregory brothers, autotune, whatever you want to call them, autotune the news, whatever started making it big pretty close to when you and I first met. I think they started making their stuff around 2008 or 2009. And I mean, you just idolized them. I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but you played that all the time. (laughs) Like way before really getting to know Jonathan Colton. Like I said, we were introduced to like a couple of his songs by this point, but you really latched on to that group. And their take was like completely different from my perspective, completely different from anything that you personally were listening to or interacting with at that point. 
in terms of they just auto-tuned existing content on the news and inserted themselves into it. But what about that clicked with you? Because the rest of us, I think, just sat around and were like, oh, that's really funny, but it's kind of annoying. They're taking news clips and auto-tuning them. I think they still do it today. But what, for you, was like, made you be like, I want to do that. And then you started auto-tuning everything. Dude. Auto-tuning, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It's the same thing as that Jonathan Colton story, dude. Like, they are really great pop songwriters, but they sneak in, like, the modulations and the funny chords, great harmonies and, like, callbacks, and they're just really good songwriters, too. Same kind of idea. Like, they understand pop music, but they know a little bit more than the average Joe. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that, like, whole remixing genre, like, no, I wouldn't buy a schmo yo like I wouldn't download their songs on Napster. You know what I mean? Right. But I, it was just so good. Like it was not what I would listen to, but it was just so creative and fun. And there was that like DIY thing about it where you're like, that'd be cool if I could do that too. And I didn't immediately try to do it, but I found inspiration within it for sure. Like, I, I don't know what it is, but seeing them do that, you're like, it's just fun. They were having fun <laughs> with, with music. And it was like right. viral and Mimi, that was like the beginning of viral video. Like YouTube wasn't that huge at that point. It was obviously like growing, but like now you watch YouTube every day. People like probably watch more YouTube than cable at this point. But that really wasn't the YouTube landscape then. It was just like occasionally there was a viral cat video that everybody watched. And Shmoyoho would be like, cool, we're going to take that video and we'll remix it and ride the coattails off of that. Kind of like what I do with Star Wars, you know? There's always that sort of like, aha moment of like, what is the word for it? <laughs> the, the, the gimmick of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Where you're like, I know people are going to like this song because they like that cat lady song. And so we wrote the cat lady or the cat lady video. And now we got the cat lady song, the double right. rainbow guy, the double rainbow song. It just works. It connects people that wouldn't want to listen to your music with people that do want to listen to your music. And like you said, that's all you want. How do I get more people to pay attention to me faster? Right. Yeah. Was I the first person you auto-tuned that way yep in my memory i was the first yeah for sure i hope that that video is dead and and buried it is still on my youtube account it is no. set to private okay good clear we go i don't know how many views it has but that same that same year that would have been like the next year or two so yeah. That would have been maybe like 2009. Yeah. So you would always film everything in the dorm yep. room with our mini DV cameras or whatever. And then I took a clip of you and auto-tuned it or tried to. I think it was more of a like, can I even do this kind of thing? And I definitely thought like, if I do this and post it, like we'll go viral because all of these <laughs> other people are doing it. Or like the, at least Shmo Yoho was. There was a few other people doing that so similar thing, but it wasn't like, everybody knows how to do this at that point, you know? Right. Like you had to be sort, like I said earlier with me being like extra dorky about music, like you had to be a dork to have a YouTube channel in 2008 or nine. It was not as, dude, it's so cool now. Everyone's got a YouTube channel now. Not in 2008 though, you know? So I was like, yeah, dude, I'm gonna auto-tune, Joey. It'll go viral. It came out terrible. It's really hard to do, especially with auto-tune. So there's a lot of right. other softwares that can actually turn vocals into melodies. It's harder to do with auto-tune than some others. 
But yeah, I posted that and somebody watched it on the internet for sure. Yeah. Well, no, that's an interesting point. Like that was you, the idea of that being you sort of cutting your teeth on this stuff, so to speak, like that video. And then for those of you who haven't heard it, Royce made a snow day song one day when we were at college and it snowed a bunch. And that was, I think, a lesson for you, right? You're playing more around with sort of, I mean, that whole thing was you with a different voice. You recorded it, you sang it, and we but we had video for it, but you elevated your voice to sound like Elmo. And that's, that's how that so- the entire song works. I'll sleep in on my three-day weekend. Go outside and build a big snowman. Cause snow days are no days that I can complain. School is closed. I'm like, whoa, no way. So, and then... Around the same time, you started iTunes Steve Jobs, taking the footage from Apple events and auto-tuning them, so to speak, and creating that YouTube channel. I'm curious about that creation mindset, I guess, compared to today. How did you learn from that? So, like, writing and recording music in this college era, like, versus now, is definitely way different. Like, sometimes it's exactly the same Sometimes it's not like I'm obviously like a different person, but like it's still the same. You have all the same experience or you've just grown off of that experience. But at the time, I was much less concerned with like, I have to make this thing and it has to be really good. So I please an audience like it was more like I have to make this so I can make my roommates laugh or like I'm just making this because I want to. Like there was a much more genuine approach, even though I sort of always had this back of mind, like I would like to go viral. I didn't know that that meant like you could make money or that like subscribers were like a thing. It was just making them for fun and hopefully people would like it at minimum my roommates because that was just that's college. dude. <laughs> yeah, we're not there to like I mean, you're there to get a degree and learn some stuff, hopefully. But like you're there with people in a community. And that was like our thing for fun. Like we would watch TV, play video games. I would have a guitar or piano plugged in. And I'd be singing and like Randy Newmaning, like our whatever yeah, was happening yeah, exactly. in the room. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you, my question is, are you consciously aware of this? That a decade later, your YouTube journey has paralleled that early journey, like to the T. Your introduction to Jonathan Colton, right, with Still Alive, like we talked about. And then auto-tune the news. You started with Hello which is a big hit, obviously, but I think it's a Jonathan Colty song and, and you were inspired by him. And then immediately after that, you go and you auto-tune, you know, Han Solo and Chewbacca. And I just think that that's a really interesting parallel. Not only did you take, like, were you inspired by these people to make this music, but your music, it immediately parallels that. Without Shmoyoho and auto-tune the news, like, yeah, that was, an in, that was literally like, Oh, you can do that? I'll do that. Right. Had that channel not existed, like, I I don't know if I would have invented auto-tuning people. I don't know if they invented it either, but they certainly really popularized it. And if you're going to point to somebody that is, like, number one, it's them in, in that yeah. genre, whatever you want to call it. And, yeah, without it, well, I don't, I wouldn't have done that. I would have still been writing silly songs, but I don't think I would have known how to, like, connect, like, my silly songs with an audience. There was something about they auto-tuned the news, 
because it's topical and people are searching about the headline from that day or the kitten lady or whatever. Huh. So that made sense. That right. that taught taught me how to, you know, connect my silly music with an audience, basically. And that's exactly what it is with Chewbacca and Han Solo. It's like people already like Star Wars, mm-hmm. but no one's really doing Star Wars remixes. So I'll be the Star Wars remix guy. Now I'm like a subgenre of that. Yeah, and without them, we wouldn't have the theme song to Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. All the other YouTube channels that were inspired by them, you know, who knows? Rumi Official, I don't know if you remember him. He used to like cover the auto-tune the news songs. Oh, yeah. Remember the one, the, I'm not a witch, I'm nothing you've heard. And he he would just make his own version of the auto-tune song, and he grew a channel that was like mildly popular then, and now he's more popular than Shmoyoho. So like, it wasn't just me. Lots of other people saw what they were doing and was like, cool, I can make dumb videos and put them on the internet and grow a thing. And now literally, I think it's like the number one thing kids want to be now is a YouTuber or an influencer. Like that is the profession. The next generation of human beings wants to be. They don't want to be a cop or a lawyer or an astronaut. They want to be a YouTuber because you can be silly and like whatever you like to do, you could do it and find an audience for it. Yeah, absolutely. I listened in preparing, we're talking too much about Shmoyoho, but I listened to Turtle Fence in preparation for this interview, and it's just so good. For anyone listening or watching, those turtles that were climbing turtles (laughs) couldn't climb over the turtle fence. (laughs) So good. It's just so good and just so ridiculous. But like you've said in your podcast, and you've said a lot since I've known you, like a lot, you say anyone can connect to music, right? Like it doesn't matter where the music's from or what language they're speaking in the music, if they're, you know, if there are lyrics, the music is its own language. And we're going to go on a little aside here, but do you remember, I'll never forget, we were in the dorm room once and you were just like out of nowhere, what do you think alien music sounds like? And it blew my GD mind. I was like, what do you think alien music sound like? And it was just like an amazing question to hear from a musician like that you could think that way. Do you think that John Williams, do you think that was like the goal with John Williams and the Cantina Band and Max Rebo Band? <laughs> I'm sure he asked that question like you're in a bar, but it's a space bar. Yeah, a you space think George bar Lucas. in a desert, no less. <laughs> like there's multiple layers to that. Yeah, I just, it's it's a fun Star Wars parallel for me thinking, just, I'll, I just think about you asking that question. And then recently, like you said, on Krypton to Alderaan, we did the Star Wars music episode. And it's just interesting to think that maybe that was their goal. This is what space music sounds like. Yeah. It's just an incredible thought. Not really a question there, just a fun thing to point sure. out and just like a dive into your thought process. It just, it blew my mind. I agree. But a lot of our journey together was shaped by music. Like I said, when we first met, we didn't really bond or connect. Our tastes were pretty different, but becoming friends and and growing together, we listened to a lot of music and came to like a lot of music that I don't think we would have without our college experience. Thanks to Nick Curto, our roommate. I would have never listened to Lady Gaga. Never listened to Lady Gaga or at least so much Madonna, just like a lot of Madonna. Um, but we listened to the police and the Beach Boys and 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 music that you would go on later to cover with your band. Uh, we just listened to all kinds of stuff. Do you see that? 
I don't want to say like change of your taste, but like that expansion or evolution of your taste influencing the music that you create today. I would say that anything I hear is going to inspire me somehow, like Old Town Road, like <laughs> very odd song, maybe not your favorite song. Maybe you're not going to download his album on Kazaa or whatever, but like it's interesting that that is a hit and people find something in it that they like. There's something to pull from that for sure. Like you said, connecting with other people, you're like, here's my favorite song. It's Old Town Road by Lil Nas X. You're going to be like, what is this? You know, playing it for like <laughs> your parents or something like the huge disconnect between those generations of music lovers. But right. I think if you are a music lover and especially if you're a creator, like how could you not learn something from it? You know, even if you don't understand it, there's something to take out of it for sure. Even if you're not sure exactly what, you know? Right. I don't know if my taste necessarily expanded. I've always thought I've been like open to stuff though. I think the more and more I get older and become more and more of an old curmudgeon, like it is harder to love new music as much as you love the stuff you grew up with. The bands you listen to at 13 years old are going to be way, they're going to have so much more star power in your mind than Lil Nas X. Like we'll probably forget about that song in 20 years. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe. But like, it's going to be way harder for Lil Nas X. Sorry if you're watching Lil Nas. Don't, <laughs> don't mean to harp on like, you. Please let us know if you're watching. <laughs> <laughs> like, for him to dethrone less than Jake in my heart, yeah. that's just not going to happen. Even if, like, I ended up listening to every single Lil Nas X album. You know what I mean? So it's harder to, like, attach to new music as much. But I am definitely appreciating different things than I used to. You mentioned Last Son of Krypton being this like breakdown song. Like if a song was emo and screamy, I would be in. It didn't matter. I wasn't like a snob about it. I would listen to that band. You're into pop punk. You listen to every pop punk band, generally speaking, you know, when you're a kid. And as you get older, that's not totally the case. I feel like the older you get, maybe the more I do care about things like lyrics and longevity that I can like continue to grow with the song rather than I immediately hear it. And I'm like, yeah, it's emo. I'm emo. This is my music. It's not the same now. Like I'll connect with completely different styles of music or completely different, like stories in songs. Like I forget who said it. I think it was, uh, nope. Don't want to name somebody that I don't know, but there's a rap like hip hop producer. And he said like, I don't know why rappers can't rap about paying their taxes. Like you're going to rap about the club until you're 50, 60 years old. Like 2008, every song at a bar would have been like, this is the best night of our lives. Raise the roof <laughs> with synthesizers and stuff. And like you, yeah, that's such a fleeting moment of time. Now I want to listen to the, a talk with George by Jonathan mm -hmm. Colton, where it's like, what are you doing with your life? I'm this human being. I've got goals and dreams and so on. This like bigger picture that you're not going to care about when you're 13. When you're 13, you're like, screw you, mom, screw you, dad. Don't want to do my homework. Like whatever stupid stuff you care about. I don't want to play time. my scales. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're obviously a musician. You were obviously always open to everything. All that good stuff. From my perspective, both our tastes really expanded where you taught me to like some stuff and Nick Curdo taught us both to like some stuff. Nick, <laughs> I'm going to message you and ask you to listen and watch this episode. But it really, all that stuff really seemed to inspire you at the time. 
Like you just start a jam session in the dorm room or just create a song randomly. And it would obviously it would feel like what like you were pulling from whatever we were listening to at the time. And that's why it's so funny and interesting for me to listen to your podcast and hear you say that you get nervous speaking in front of people or performing in front of people or that you don't like your voice. Because honestly, I always saw you as this pillar of confidence. We'll get sentimental here a little bit. I always looked up to you as this pillar of confidence because you were in this band and you were creating music in front of crowds. But I guess with the exception of, and I'm sorry if this is going to be embarrassing for you, but you took a public speaking class and every single time you had to speak, you'd get sick. (laughs) You'd be like, I'll be right back. And I'd be like, oh, he's puking again because he's got a speech today. (laughs) Yeah. So what is that? So I'm so, I'm just like, I'm so curious about the mindset uh, because I get nervous just doing the podcast. You know what I mean? Like there's, it's, I just get the pressure. I feel the pressure. So what is the difference for you as a musician and performer, but also someone that gets nervous? Like to be able to do that in front of us, like you said, in the dorm room for fun, but then if you're performing or if you're giving a speech, it's a little, you know, there's a little less confidence or something there. When we're just hanging in the dorm room, you're with your buds, you're with your family, you're safe in that zone. (laughs) You're you're wearing your PJs, like you haven't showered, like your hair looks wacky, you know what I mean? Like you are, it's okay to let the curtain down a little bit and like not, not be so worried about being silly, which like all of the music I wrote in that time is super silly. Whether it was like a real thing I released or just like, just a memory we have of like, remember that silly ditty you came up with that day or whatever, like something on one of those mini DV tapes. Like that was just, remember the didgeridoo. Sorry, guys. Yeah. (laughs) Like just having fun in the moment and letting that, like you said, like someone said, make a song about classic rock. And you're like, now I'm playing ACDC, but I'm singing something stupid over it. And you're just in the moment, jumping on top of it, having fun. Dude, as soon as you have a formal audience though, that's not the case. Like, even so much as like you go to the family outing or whatever, and there's a piano at the house and they're like, oh, Royce is taking lessons. Can he play something? And now all of a sudden you're like, I got to put on a show now. Like that's a different, a different thing. And then people now expect you to be a performer. You go from there's somebody just telling a joke in the corner at the party to now like, let's all have eyes on you. and Maybe it's not different at the end of the day, but there's something like the audience is going to critique you. Maybe they're not. Maybe I got to visualize them in their underwear and not care. But like, there's always that thought that like, oh, they're going to know if I miss that note or Mm. they're going to see my hand shaking or whatever. Or if I screw up, like I'm going to feel like an idiot. That's always been there for me. Even on these stupid podcasts that we do, when you say, hey, talk about this episode of TV. I'll still be nervous that what I'm going to say isn't going to be what isn't going to be interpreted how I want it to be interpreted, or I'm just going to botch the whole thing and I'm going to stumble over the keys and hit all the wrong notes. The interesting thing, though, is if this was a piano recital, a speech for school, hell yeah, I'm going to have tons of butterflies and I'm probably going to want to hurl before. I've gotten over the hurling before, (laughs) but I still get nervous for those sorts of things. If I was going to play a show with one of my bands, I never once got nervous about going up on stage with four or five other 
dudes and ladies and playing a rock show. Never once. I would get nervous having to like have the stage banter. I think for me, more of it is like the communication. I cannot communicate well. It's not my strength with, with the English or any other spoken language. It's not, not my strong suit, but we can go up and play a show and I can play my guitar parts. Still might goof up my guitar parts, but when you're in there with the band, like that is like being in the living room scenario a little bit more, even if there is an audience. You still have to perform, but like you are a unit. And I never got nervous for that, even though I have some pretty cringy memories of rock shows that I'll probably talk about on my podcast one day. But yeah, I never got nervous for a rock show versus a piano lesson, which I would literally be looking at like the itinerary for, for the recital of like, oh, I'm coming up next. I'm coming up next. Like, right. Uh, yeah, it's a real thing. And so how does that differ from the pressure you feel today like you've on your podcast also you've talked about the pressure and the expectations from your fans now is that different pressure is that more pressure does it affect you more yeah I, I think the only time you're nervous about something it's only because you are thinking about how someone is going to react to whatever you do so if i post a video are you going to like it if i post a song are you going to like it if we make a podcast are you going to like it that's a huge consideration. It's impossible to live your life and not think about what other people are going to think about you. And that's what holds everybody back. You don't want to post your thing because you think people will think it's stupid. You know, I don't want to give my speech because my speech isn't that great. Or like so-and-so's speech was better. The person that played their piece before me played like this crazy thing and I'm playing baby elephant walk or whatever. <laughs> so it's hard to not compare and it's hard to not want those results in your notes. You're like, how do you feel that 10,000 people are going to hear that song? Like in the first day or two that you post it, maybe that's pretty crazy. Right. But you're also getting a different, uh, you're getting different feedback and you're getting feedback that is sort of permanent. If you're giving a speech or if you're playing in your band, you might get some feedback in the moment spoken to you and it might be fleeting or it might you know, have a lasting effect on you. But with what you're producing now, people are giving you feedback in writing that lasts forever. So <laughs> not to... You suck! Not, not <laughs> to make it more pressure from you, but yeah. I just think, does that influence your creative process? Does that influence when you're thinking about creating something, when you're thinking about releasing something, does the idea of that positive and negative feedback that's going to, you know, be a comment on your YouTube channel? Is that affecting your sort of output and the creativity behind it? Yeah, I think for sure. And if I'm being totally honest, I think that more and more, it's going to either make the stuff I do less and less awesome over time Ooh. or drive me crazier and crazier. Like the, the pressure just keeps on mounting. So how do you do better than the last thing? How do you please more people? Uh, even if I do have a hit, now I have more fans and I got to please more people. It sucks. It's not like everybody wants to be famous, have a million dollars, but then there's all this pressure that comes with it. I'm not complaining, but that is a real thing. And I just want to make music. But if I make a song, someone's going to tell me they don't like it. And that sucks. You know, even if it's one person out of a thousand, there's so far, please don't troll me. Anyone listening out of all of my uh, Royish Good Looks podcast episodes, 
I think there's only one dislike out of all of those videos, which is rare. And you know, the more people watch, the number goes up. It's okay to have a couple dislikes. When I'm at my best, it's when I don't care about what people are gonna think. When it's like, I just wrote something. It's great. I gotta put it out. This is great. And I'm in my bubble, you know? And I'm gonna work on it. I'm gonna finish it. And the more and more I think about how someone's gonna react, the more and more that detracts from the final thing. And this could be a multiple level thing. It could be just the writing of the song itself. It could be how my voice sounds. It could be the mix of the song. It could be the stupid video that I'm pairing with it. Rogue Squadron wasn't created until the Battle of Hoth. Yeah. <laughs> that was actually Red Squadron. Oh, I guess I gotta hang up the towel then. <laughs> so funny. song already the rogue squadron song for those listening i had it completed like several weeks before i posted it which is very rare for me to have like a song in the bag i'd like completed a couple songs and banked them and i was like song's great i got the mix just how i wanted it like to me i loved it and then you get that comment you're like ah crap does that defeat the whole purpose no forget that guy but that comment like you said is permanent and I'll remember it forever. And now next video, I gotta not screw that up. You know, it's like, oh, we left the coffee cup in the corner of the screen during Mandalorian. There's no Starbucks uh, on that planet in Star Wars. So <laughs> we better go back and edit that out. And people make fun of that, you know? And it's an error that happens because we're all human, but you gotta live with that forever unless you can go back in time and edit it, which I don't think I can do on that YouTube video without posting another one, which is not what I'm gonna do. Right. Well, I, let's discuss maybe a positive note since but you the, are. Sure, Joe, we can go positive, but that's the reality though. Like you can't yeah. ignore that. You know, the only reason no. I'm saying that, the only reason I'm doing my podcast is to try and be as honest as I can, you know, for better or worse. Sure. There's a lot of pressure, like you said, with creating your art, especially the more, the more feedback you get, the more pressure there is. But there also has to be a level of excitement and pride, right? Like, how does it feel to have your art appreciated? Like, this, each, each piece is a piece of you, and it's being appreciated by, you know, you have over 75 million views on YouTube, right? So it's being appreciated by a lot of people. Your art is reaching people. So how does that make you feel? Yeah, well, for sure, <laughs> it's perspective. So if I ever go on one of these tangents and you're like, there's a great, Gary V clip where he's like, who cares what punk man 69 thinks or whatever, like right. someone's stupid username. That's clearly just a guy on the internet. At my worst, I'm worried about what punk man 69 thinks. But yeah, when you zoom back out and you get perspective, you see that like people are watching your videos. Like that always feels good. When I have a song ready the day or two before you'll set up the song to go out to iTunes and Spotify. You'll set it up to go on YouTube. And there's like a timer, you know, and it's like it's going to release at 8 a.m. on Saturday or whatever. And that always feels sort of like a Christmas Eve moment where it's like I'm not unwrapping a present for myself, but like I'm about to put something out into the world and someone's day is definitely going to be made. There's always comments that are like, oh, I'm so glad you posted a new video. I was wondering if you were dead. Great. You know, glad you're back. Uh -huh. 
and then that is, like you said, that is all you really need. Like, forget the one guy that dislikes the video. For anyone to care about your art is awesome. One person in the dorm room being like, that's a funny song. I like that one, man. You should put that on the internet. Yeah, that's all you need. And I am fortunate enough that those numbers are bigger than just one person. So yeah, you got to tell me to zoom out anytime mm -hmm. that we get too deep into the, the weeds there. To be able to do what I like, like at the end of the day, I get to make music, people enjoy it, and I get to put food on my table for it, which yeah. like I cannot say thank you enough to anyone that does enjoy the music for that. Not everybody gets to have that. There's lots of people that probably would like to be in my shoes, you know? And side note, if you're watching and you're not posting your stupid art or music, just go do it. Like, don't be like me. You hear how much I'm up in my head about this. You probably are too. Stop doing that and go post your thing. Somebody will like it. You never know. Yeah, I think that that's why it's a good, it's a good idea to sort of bring balance to the force here. We talked about sort of the pressure from your fans, but also the positive light of you're creating this art, you're putting it out there. You're, it's a very vulnerable experience for you and you're successful at it. So there's something very positive and a positive takeaway and something very inspirational for that. We wouldn't be making this video interview if it wasn't for you. If it wasn't for uh, you just being like, well, let's just try it and put it out there and see. So yeah, but this I don't know. This your is my contribution. Idea. It's your <laughs> idea. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't have started the Royish Good Looks podcast without us doing Krypton to Alderaan. So maybe you're like, I'm not going to do Krypton to Alderaan on my own. We should do it together. We are stronger together. We are a band of sorts, right? Mm -hmm. We band yeah, we're the dyad. of brothers. <laughs> So it works in this context. And then I'm like, okay, now I've got a little confidence to do this on my own. I didn't have Royish Good Looks as a YouTube channel starting out. I had bands. Like, so you right. start somewhere, you get a little skill and confidence, and then you start to branch out on your own, hopefully out of your comfort zone so that you can continue to grow because you'll never grow if you don't get out of that comfort zone, you know? Right. hundred percent. So You've talked about the creative process, your creative process on your podcast. We've talked a little bit about it here. You don't sit down and write lyrics, right? You play a melody and then sort of mumble words until everything clicks. And that's a very Jonathan Colton thing, right? There's like, you sent you had sent me, I don't know, years ago, footage of him doing exactly that, where he's just playing and speaking nonsense, right? Huh. Just coming up with stuff. I don't remember it, but that's cool. It'd be fun to look that up again. So I guess if you don't remember that, then it negates this next question. Lots I was, of people do uh, that, though. It's it, it's a common thing. Okay, well, I was wondering if he was your influence for that, or if that was like, if that's always been your approach to music, like even when you were younger writing music for your bands and stuff, was that how you created that back then there's something about melody that i always understood that like the melody is the most important thing so whether or not you can sing like everybody right. whistles at some point walking down the street or whatever also my father would whistle all the time and i whistle all the time too it drives drives my girlfriend nuts but <laughs> it's something i do like you can you have an instrument with you constantly i love whistling so like <laughs> <laughs> making or kazoo, whatever it is, you know, like you can make a melody out of nothing. You don't need the words. You don't need the band or the beat. You can always make a melody. 
There's something about yeah. it I always connected with things like uh, Third Eye Blind. Do, 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 Blink-182. Na, 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 The police. Da, do, 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 da, 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 da. All these are exactly the same notes, by the way. But, like, that, that's a melody. And it's not words. It doesn't mean anything. Maybe it means something if you listen to the actual, you know, contour of the line. No words, though. So that's, right. that's just always been the thing. And if I listen to a song, if it's a really good mix, you'll be able to hear the, the words and remember the words. But if it's not a great mix, like, I think about, like, 90s, like, like, that kind of, like, garage grunge, like, era rock, whatever that's called. Like, you don't even always know what they're saying. Punk music, like, it's hard to discern the actual lyrics it's a lot easier to discern the pitch, though, of that particular word that they're singing. So when you go to the show and you're singing along, like you don't even know the words, but you can kind of like you can follow along with the melody, with the sounds of the word, even if you don't know the words. Despacito. I don't know what the hell that song's about. And I can't remember any of the words, but everybody listening understands that if you've heard that song. Despacito. Who knows right. what the words are? I don't speak a lick of Spanish, but I know that melody. It's going to stick with me forever. Right. How does the creative process differ for you for writing this stuff just for yourself than it did when you were writing for a band, for like a group of people? Or that you knew you would have to perform, I guess, in front of a group of people? Yeah, it's no different. The difficulty is if you're writing a song the way that I write a song like 90% of the time, if I'm in front of the computer, like sometimes you play riffs and then you sing over them and then it's like hard to perform that thing together especially when i'm playing on like instagram live or something which i haven't done in a while but i want to do again there's plenty of guitar parts that i'm like this is a cool part of my song the one that comes to mind to me is the lick in i am your father i am your father and i rule this galaxy i am your father i'm your father And it's like this finger-picking, rocking-out thing. It's not hard to play, but it's hard to play and sing it. And I can't do it <laughs> myself. I need a guy to do that. So a lot of times, like, when you're in a band, that's the way it goes. The lead singer, you know, is usually, like, maybe the bassist or the rhythm guitar player. And you have a lead guy that can shred all the lead parts, you know? You have, like, separation of duties. So I don't necessarily think, like, the writing is any different if it's for me or when it was for my band. But a lot of the writing I do is in the computer. So you end up composing or arranging things that are harder to do for a band. If you want to talk about boyish good looks, every song had a piano, strings, bells, like way too many background vocals. Boyish good looks could never be a full live performing band true to the album without streaming backing tracks or having like a 50 piece band. Right. So that was always a difficulty for us. We had a CD where the song was arranged one way and we'd like rearrange it for a four piece rock band. So that's the trick. And me on Instagram live, I'm rearranging my songs for acoustic guitar and me doesn't always do the song justice. It's a different version of the song. Yeah. A, a little bit, I guess going into that, it blew my mind on your podcast when you said that the trombone part in uh, your mind tricks don't work on me. Is it in that, mm -hmm. that that was you? I just assumed it was 
an instrument on your computer. It's funny. I had a buddy of mine also make that same comment. I sent it to a buddy for like mix notes. And they were like, oh, the trombone sounds cool, but it sounds a little bit like fake. And I was like, that's funny because I played it. There's a lot of auto-tune on it. But yeah, that's me playing. You should, I think you should do a remix where you use the kazoo. I'm expecting the kazoo to come up more in your next like history of music for Royce episode of your podcast. Because it was a very big influence in our lives for a long time. And I expect it to be an important topic of discussion. So <laughs> duly that's noted. Just my, that's just my notes. Um, how does it feel when you get the idea for a song? Like, what's that excitement level like on, on two, on sort of two levels? One, from my perspective, the, your songs are very fun to listen to, your Star Wars, all, all your songs, but I'm talking specifically about your Star Wars songs. So being a fan of Star Wars, what's it like to like get the spark to light the fire, to burn the first... Now, what's what's it like getting that spark like for Star Wars? But then knowing that at this point, you know it's going to be listened to by so many. So what's that excitement like on two levels? Well, it's awesome when you have an idea and then you have the time to workshop the idea. It sucks when you have the idea and you're like, ah, but I got to go do this thing. Because a lot of that really is like a moment of time. And your brain is firing like on a wavelength. It's oscillating. You know, the coffee has hit you just right. The beer, the weed, the whatever <laughs> drug you're on, whatever high you're on, it's going to end up fading away. So you have to capture the damn moment. So hopefully I'll, I'll at least voice memo it if it is a good idea or if it's like a lyric. Sometimes it is a lyric. I'll jot it down in notes app. But you have to like continue working on it. Because the whole, like a whole song doesn't just appear. You know, right. this is another thing that I harp on in my show is like, write a hello there song. What is the song? Write a song about saying hello. Like, hello, hello. I don't know why. <laughs> like, I don't, it's going to be somebody figure that out. I don't know. Also, I do have a hello there song and it sounds a lot like that Beatles song. So <laughs> it's not good. Uh, but you have to figure out all the other pieces. So I know I talked about this on my show, but like, you got to sit there with your line, the lyric, the vocal, chord, whatever it is, and, and keep fleshing it out and out and out. It's awesome, though, when you know you have that particular line that you know is going to sell the whole thing. I thought that with Feel the Force, the last song I put out, I was like, that lyric, that's a song. Feel the Force, like, feel the Force flowing through you. Oh, no, duh. That's got to be a song. And then I don't know how long it took to get like the chorus going, but it started with that first very part, like feel the force of And then like you got that whole line, I gotta fill out all the other lyrics. Then once you fill it all out, you're like, yes, chorus. Like, that's all anybody cares about. Gonna take my horse to the uptown road. <laughs> that's all they care about. But you still gotta fill out the other parts of the song, which is why my songs are only two minutes and 30 seconds long. Right. You, how are you going to come up with all these other awesome parts that are like better than your chorus or support the chorus? But it feels really cool when you have that spark because like nothing sucks more when you're like, I'm going to write a song today, which by the way, I don't really do this because it sucks. Even though a lot of people say you should just do it like work, show up at 9am, write songs. 
I don't do that. I'm, I am of the like, give it to me now. I want to be inspired and have it like naturally flow through me. But sometimes you do, you do say, I haven't posted a song in months. I got to figure out a song to post. I got to write a song. Maybe I'll write a hello there song. What's the first lyric? Hello there. Okay. <laughs> so the rhythm, hello there. Hello there. Hello there. Like and you, now you're like trying to write and design your song. It's not inspiring. It sucks and you get nowhere. So if you do have the spark, dude, run with it, man. Capture that lightning in a bottle and run with it. Hello from the dark side, written, recorded, produced, mixed, video, posting, all within like, it might've been like a 12 hour span of time. Or maybe that's what, maybe a little bit more than that. Less than a day though, it's the least amount of time I ever put into a creative project with the highest return of all time. Right. So sometimes you just have to go fast and not, not worry. I didn't worry about what people would think about that so much. It turned out to work in my favor. But right. sometimes you can sit down and like work it out. Even if you aren't inspired, you could still figure it out. You know, that's just, you got to work a little bit harder and maybe that's not the one. I try to let it be natural though. Cause then, like you said, you're excited about it. I don't want to, I don't do anything I'm not excited about. Or if I do it, like it's very evident I don't want to do it, you know? Right. All of your songs are so fun to listen to. And I don't think I'm just saying that because I'm biased. I think it's, they're genuinely good, objectively, and, and fun to listen to. And it's because I do know you, one of the lyrics that sticks out in my mind that I just like picture being so fun when you came up with it is you're going to be sorry you messed with this Mon Calamari. <laughs> like every time I listen to that song, I think, what was his reaction when he came up with those words in that order? And so your song process of like mumbling, you know, figuring out the melody first is very interesting to me. Again, as someone who like has no idea how any of this works, but with lyrics like that, yeah, I guess it's just really interesting how your mind comes up with, with that stuff. And I just picture you laughing hysterically <laughs> coming up with the line, you're going to be sorry you messed with this Mon Calamari. Is that something you go and tell Robin? Are you like, Robin, I just came up with this awesome line. And oh, she has some kind of reaction to it, but <laughs> I often I'll I fill her in with exactly what's going on, but she yeah. is impervious to my bullshit. So occasionally she'll be like, that song's pretty good. And I'll be like, oh, so that one's a good one, huh? <laughs> but usually it's like, well, we'll put it right up on the fridge. You know? <laughs> She's super That's supportive, hilarious. but she hears like you're curious as an outsider. She is in the weeds with me and she gets like none of the glory from it. You know what I mean? So she hears all of this, like this punk band 69. And she's like, shut <laughs> up. You're you have a successful YouTube channel. So there's that. But yeah, I always show her my songs to get somebody else's opinion. I always show her first before anybody else. So like I said, if she says it's good, it's just like I said with Russ, like whoever you trust most, you got to show them. They'll give you a reaction. Hopefully it's as honest and like constructive as can be. But if it's at least like you got to read the person, like I said, if she says it's good, then I'm like, all right, it's good. Cause she's kind of tough to please. If you've listened to the show before, you know? <laughs> 
Yeah, one of my favorite things that we have is I have screenshots of you and I writing lyrics for Last Jedi Knight, shooting them back and forth to each other. That's very fun. So now, obviously, now you're a teacher, right? You teach several different aspects of music. You teach recording and you, te- you give music lessons. And we talked a little bit about this up top, how your journey has influenced your teaching. Like, do you teach from a book? Do you teach from experience? Is it both? How do you, as Yoda says, pass on what you have learned? Yeah, I love that that scene with Yoda and the whole like, they are, except from Last Jedi, the they grow beyond what we are or whatever. I think that is from The Last Jedi and Yoda's in The Last Jedi. I will say that I like the sequels, so this isn't a, necessarily a commentary on that, but Yoda is like, you didn't do what I said. You didn't pass on what you've learned. And instead of Luke teaching Ray, he's just like, well, I guess I'll just project myself across the galaxy and die. But anyway, how do you yeah. teach? Yeah. <laughs> teaching music lessons and recording are two kind of different things. And they're two different like age groups to begin with. But the idea is the same. It's like you got to care about it. So there's even more like boring technical jargon to learn on the recording side of things. Through my recording classes, we like, we record bands, you know, and we work on actual recordings of bands. So you're kind of like in the real world session trying to like showcase here's something happening in real time and here's how we can treat it with microphones or EQ or whatever. or looking at just the mix as a whole. So you try to like make it fun through that where it's not just like, here's the theory of mixing. It's like, no, let's open up a session. Let's talk about what's going on with it. What's good, what's bad, what we can do all the different avenues you can take. Recording is really tricky because you can learn all these techniques and the sciences behind it, but that's even more subjective than music. Because at least in music, in Western music, you've got 12 notes in your scale or in in music, that's it, 12 notes. You can go microtonal music and like quarter tones and get really weird. The average song, you got 12 notes to play with. So that's like your sandbox, you know? You can only get so many tonalities out of it. That's the whole thing with alien music is like, do they have more than, (laughs) like, does more than 12 notes sound good to them? Because it doesn't really sound good to us all the time. If you're just used to listening to pop music, once you go outside of those 12 tones and you go smaller increments, it sounds funky, you know, like out of tune, basically. Our ears are trained to hear it a certain way. But so anyway, there's like more of a box to work in with music. You're going to write a song. There's only so many avenues you can really take if everyone's going to like your song. Sort of similar with recording. But like this microphone, it could be right here or it could be over here or it could be up here or down here. And it will sound different in all of those locations. The same microphone and the same dude. Now I have to teach you how to make recordings. There's a mystery there and (laughs) you have to, it's like comes down to taste. So I can't tell you what kind of music you like. I can tell you how music sort of works, how to play an instrument, but there's so much more of your own personal like journey you have to put into it to do it. So here's how microphones work. Here's how you could mix your song, but you could also mix it this way. Might be better, might be worse. I don't know. Maybe no one will care. I have plenty of songs that I think I nailed the recording, the like the performances, the mixing, tonally speaking. I'm like, this song sounds awesome. Nobody cares. (laughs) Or you totally botch the mix and you're like, this is not that great. Again, nobody cares. They like it, even though it's not good to me. We're also really terrible judges like of ourselves. So maybe that's why I have a lot of problems with confidence in speaking is I just, I'm too hard on myself. 
But for teaching recording, yeah, you gotta, again, encapsulate like something fun. We're actually working on something tangible. I'm showing you the possibilities. I'm the Neil deGrasse Tyson, like open your brain to new experiences. Here's how it works. And now the rest is up to you. Man, that's hard. I'm new to teaching. Like it's still something I'm trying to get better at myself. And everybody learns differently as well. Like some people just want the facts. I get a lot of questions in my recording classes. That's like, you know, how do I do this? And they want a concrete answer. Doesn't exist. Because you could put the mic here or here or here or here. They're all going to record your voice on the podcast. How do you want it to sound? I don't know. That's up to you. And you've got to connect those dots. That's the trick. Any kind of education. And I think the thing I'm most interested now is learning, period. I spend so much time just like watching YouTube, not to like goof around and waste time. Like I'm always watching stuff that's either going to give me inspiration or someone's breaking down a concept I want to know more about, or I'm getting an insight into someone's creative process. How are they doing it? And what can I further steal from them? This is my whole thing. Like, you have to be open to learning more stuff to get better at anything. Yeah, it's awesome if you have a teacher that can explain it to you, but it's a two-way street. Like, here's how you hold the violin. I'm quitting. No (laughs) wonder you don't know how to play the violin. Like, is that the teacher's fault? I don't know. You know? So... It's hard. I do really enjoy teaching, though, when it connects. It's really hard when you're telling someone to hold it this way and they're not getting it. And you're like, just do that so we can get to the next step, though, please. Trust me. Come with me on this journey. You know, reach out with your feelings, like whatever it is. (laughs) Dude, that scene with Yoda in Empire and with Luke breaks it all down. He's like not totally sold on the Jedi thing. And he bails. He bails, dude. He's like, it's too heavy. He's like, I'll come back and finish my training, I promise. And Yoda's like, get out of here. Yeah. Guess what? He gets his hand chopped off. Han's frozen in carbonite. Man, it doesn't solve anything. Maybe that's the way you should pitch it to your students. Be like, the Empire wins. If you don't learn to hold the violin correctly, (laughs) you're letting, like, the Empire wins. Well, that's the trick, though, dude, is, like, you have the perspective. The student does not. Sure. And that's, that's everything. It's parents, children, teachers, students. You can't, you can't jumpstart it. It has to be a matter of time. It's the thing we hated most in, in college, right? The student who would be like, is this going to be on the test? And it's, it's just like, either way, this person's trying to teach you a lesson. So whether it's going to be on the test or not, like, just absorb the knowledge. We're all here for absorbing the knowledge. Has your success as a YouTuber been on your resume? Has that, has that gotten to be part of your resume for, again recording lessons, whatever you do outside of, of YouTube. I haven't formally put YouTube down. I haven't had to have a resume for anything in a number of years. So it's not, (laughs) not a thing that I should certainly have one ready to go in the instance that the grid goes down or YouTube, you know, kicks me off or whatever, but no, I haven't. Do your students know about your YouTube fame? Uh, do you try to do. keep, I, I guess, do you try to keep your professor life separate from your YouTube life? Yeah, I do, because I want to be in charge and I don't want that to form an opinion, although sure. I feel like that is my kind of calling card. The reason you should listen to me, if you're going to listen to me, is because I've done all the stuff I'm going to tell you to do. I don't tell a guitar student or recording student to do something that I didn't do to get where I am. So all I know how to do is teach you what I did. 
I can maybe tell you what not to do, but I don't have all the answers. I just know how I got to where I am. So I'll teach you as best as I can to be me. If you're willing to listen, if you want to be like me, if not, you don't want to take lessons with me. You know, you don't want to be a shredding guitar player. Don't take lessons with the shredding guitar player guy. But <laughs> I try to keep those lives separate. I don't let students follow me or friend me until they've taken my classes and passed them. So occasionally a friend request comes in and I say, boink, come right. back to me when you, when you show me something. Uh, but sometimes people find it. And afterwards, it's more interesting that they're like, oh, that's what Roy does? He was our teacher. He does that? That's cool. All right. Yeah, I would imagine that everyone's teaching ability comes from their experience. So, and YouTube is obviously a big part of that for you. And we've talked a lot about sort of the evolution and the journey of that. And now we're at your podcast, which I imagine is a great diary for you to sort of map out where you've been. Do you have a solid idea of what you want from your podcast for you and for your listeners? You put it perfectly already. I would say at minimum, it's just a diary. It's like I said, it's, this is what happened. This is the story right. of a guy named Royce. And through that, hopefully somebody will gain inspiration. Really, you're probably following it because you are a friend, a family member, or you're a fan of the channel. So if you're a fan of the channel, you're like how it's the behind the scenes. So it's my diary, but it's a little behind the scenes to me, to the channel. So that's kind of cool. It's like the DVD bonus features or whatever. Other than that, yeah, I would like it to inspire somebody. I would love someone to be like, oh, that's how he did it. I could do it. I could be your schmo yo-ho, you know, pass on what you have learned. It's, it's all that. And if nothing else, though, like just to tell the story, I don't know if I'm going to be shouting into a void through the entirety of it, how many episodes we really get to. But, you know, they say like you should journal and get your thoughts out, you know, like this is all inside of me. There's a whole, like, this is my entire life's work, right. which maybe sounds pretentious, but like, that's, this is me. I started learning music at six or seven. I kept on learning it. I started making stuff and put it out there. And now it's a career. And now apparently it has to go on my resume. So <laughs> I want to put that out there so that at least that's off my chest because it hasn't been. If I keel over tomorrow, I get hit by a car. I've at least put it out there. Yeah. Listening to your podcast, something that's very important to me is I, I have loved podcasts for a long time, obviously. And so many of the ones that I listened to inspired me to make Krypton to Alderaan. I think that's very important. And I, I often wished that they, the, the hosts of the podcasts that I liked, would create something like what you're creating now. Sort of a roadmap, a journey that someone can follow along with or someone can be inspired by. So I under, you know, it's obviously a very, again, a very vulnerable experience for you, but I think it is a very accessible and important thing for some people to be listening to. You know, people who listen to your music and love your music, now they have a guide so that they can be like, wow, I can do this too. And like you said, future generation of YouTubers have you to look up to now not to put more pressure on you, but I think your podcast is a good map for people like that. Well, I appreciate that. That's what I want it to be. So hopefully that's how it's coming across. Then I'm doing my job, I suppose. <laughs> Let's get into some serious, important questions. How many songs <laughs> do you have planned out in your notes app right now? Not what fans have said you should write a Boba Fett, blah, blah, blah. 
but songs that you feel connected to, songs that you want to dedicate energy and creativity to creating? Well, it's hard to answer because some of them no, are in I like different- No, I want a number. How yeah. many? No, just and kidding. Go ahead. They're, they're all in like different stages. Like there are a few that like, guess what? If I wanted to, I could put it on YouTube tomorrow, but it's not what I would consider like done or, you know, up to snuff, whatever. Right. Probably at least like three to four that if I wanted to could be a thing within the next week or two, but they, they have not been on the like trajectory. Like they didn't hockey stick. So yeah. if it doesn't hockey stick, like I said, I lose interest. There's some songs I can come back to if I want to, if I'm like, I got nothing else. So it has to be this. It's like a B-side basically, you know, like bands write tons of songs. Michael Jackson rumor. I don't know if it's true. Probably is would write a hundred songs for an album. And you take, you know, a dozen out of that hundred. That's how you get to good songs. That's how you get to beat it. And Thriller, Billie Jean, so on. Jonathan Mann, another YouTuber that I draw inspiration from, he writes a song a day. He's in like the 4,000s or 5,000s of songs. His mantra, I think he calls it 70, 20, 10. 70% of his songs, you can just forget about. 20%, not so bad. And then 10%, is awesome. You know, 10% of them, you hit it. He's going for like the quantity over quality thing. I'm the opposite. I want every song to be great. So these three or four that are in the bucket, they're okay. But of the entire list, dozens of like, yeah, that could be a great idea. Maybe that could be a great idea. Or somebody wants that. If somebody wants my restaurant to make cheeseburgers, maybe we'll offer cheeseburgers, whatever it is. Like I take in all that to consideration. But usually that's just like, write a song about C-3PO. All right, C-3PO is on the list. <laughs> the question that we're all dying to know is, is a ukulele cover of He's Too Dangerous to be Kept Alive on the list? I should have done that for the bonus track, and maybe I will. Even if you do it just for me, I think <laughs> it would be okay. Well, so that's the other thing with the podcast. So every month I'm putting out bonus tracks. I'm either trying to record a new one, or put out some of these demos, little trinkets, okay? You're supporting me on Patreon. I'm gonna give you some extra stuff in return. A little bit of a gimmick, but that's how we're gonna fuel this, this train, all right? And I'm trying to trick myself a little bit. I'm making the show every week. That wheel is turning. I have to make some kind of bonus track every week. But I do like this, like, all right, let's revisit another song, do another version. Ukulele version of He's Too Dangerous might be a fun one to do. I'd love to do other reimaginings though. Right now I've just been like doing acoustic versions, but it'd be cool to do like a piano or a string or just change the genre of the original song and have fun with it. Make your own special editions. Yeah, and I'm trying to keep that going on a regular basis as well. So I'm working on the B-sides now, I guess. Right. What's your favorite of your Star Wars songs? Do you have a favorite? The cliche answer has got to be hello because that kicked it all off. Right. But... Like, without that, we wouldn't be talking about anything. But, I, mean, I don't know. I don't like to play favorites, because at the time I'm, like, writing and recording them, that's my favorite. You have a new baby in the family. Everybody loves the baby. I want to hold the baby. That's the same thing with every song. So it's really hard to be like, that song's no good. I do have the George Lucas lens, though, where it's like, I should have done this. I could do that better. Let's delete that. Let's CGI in a big Ronto. It's going to just go right over the screen like this. <laughs> and you, it'll be great. Yeah. Uh, I have that thought constantly. I always want to improve like my past work. 
I, I don't know if I can give you an answer that, that you want to hear with that. Fine. Other than hello. <laughs> Final question. What Star Wars character best buds are we, do you think? <laughs> are we like Han and Chewie? Are we Poe and BB-8? Are we 3PO and Babu Frick? What do you think we are? See, I always thought Han and Chewie because you're a lot taller than me, you know? Huh. Not, yeah. not that you're Chewie, though. And I but... owe you a life debt. So. <laughs> I don't know. We are, <laughs> we are equals, though. But just in the height factor, I feel like that would work well for the cosplay. Yeah. Uh, hmm. You stumped me. You said there would be an aha stumping <laughs> moment. This is it. Yeah, you're right. So what are the, what are the other teams that we have? Churret and uh, Baze Malbiz Ooh, yeah, come to mind, maybe? Mm -hmm. But like Baze Malbiz doesn't appreciate the force. Y you and I are on more similar wavelengths than them. Because isn't yeah. he like, ah, I don't listen to him. So it's not not them. Hmm. Obi-Wan and Anakin. But So you know what? We'll just have to think about this one. I guess. I, more research is required. Yeah. We got to think about all the duos, though. So we've got Lando and that droid. L3. L3. L Lando <laughs> and uh, who's the guy with the Lobot? Yeah, Bo Lobot. Lobot. Boba Fett. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking 3PO and Babu Frick, mostly because when I thought of that to put into this question, I thought it was really funny. And especially that moment in Rise of Skywalker when 3PO's like, he's my oldest friend. This <laughs> is like known him for two minutes. That's a good one. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's like, I've said it on Krypton to Alderaan before. Like sometimes you get asked a question and you're like, you get mind wiped. And I'm like, I can't remember any Star Wars characters at the moment. Yeah. That <laughs> goes back to our conversation about pressure. It's tough. Well, you want an answer. Ah, oh, who's in Star Wars? Ah, what's a Star Wars? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to say i think this has been a really great conversation and also i don't i just don't think i've ever let you know this and this is a pretty good time to let you know that you taught me so much about who i am and what i like today you taught me that all music is good like what i what i said when we first met we didn't really bond over musical taste and you asked me what i liked and i was probably like everything but country which is always everyone's favorite answer and now I love country because of you and because of Lorelai. But bigger than that, you've influenced, you specifically have influenced my understanding and realization, respect, you know, that art, all art is good, right? And you cannot like the special editions or you cannot like the prequels or you cannot like the sequels or, but it's all a matter of interpretation, right? We're all here to interpret art and all art is part of somebody, so it all deserves to be respected, no matter how critical we're all being about it. First and foremost, you know, it deserves respect. It's someone's creation. And you did that for me. And I just wanted that to be a part of our conversation, especially with, you know, like we talked about your pressure from fans and stuff. But yeah, I wouldn't have the understanding of it all that I do today. I wouldn't be like, can we all just please like Star Wars <laughs> without you? So thank you for that. Well, I appreciate it. I love that sentiment. And I would have to say the same thing. Like, again, Portal, like I, I would never play that game without you. Never heard that thing. And all of the Jonathan Colton-ness that was given to my life through just knowing you. But dude, we always listen to music. That was like the thing. We'd be hanging out. There's a song on. And if we liked it, we probably just played it over and over and over and over again. 
for right. whatever reason. We just would overplay it. So I love bonding with people over the stuff they care about. And sometimes it isn't the thing you initially liked where you're like, hey, watch Smallville. Like we watched all of Smallville. I didn't, I would watch it on and off, but like, that's another thing where you're like, I really care about this. I want to show it to you. And right. now we can bond over it. And you said, you're like, I don't know how we, we did wind up being symbiotes through college, but that was totally it. Like you showed me your DVD collection and I showed <laughs> you mine and we were like, oh, you like dinosaurs? That's funny. I kind of like that show. Then yeah. you, you know, you start connecting dots, dude. Even like you said, someone says, I like anything but country. Even if you're a country fan, there's a crossover somewhere along yeah. the line, you know? whether that's Old Town Road or like Florida Georgia Line, those are two different sides of country. So everybody can still appreciate it. Right. It's really easy to critique stuff. We do it all the time. But yeah, just enjoy it and find other yeah. people that enjoy it and talk about it on a podcast with them. And your life will be complete. <laughs> enjoy your art. Put your art out there. Enjoy other people's art. Respect other people's art. I think that's the takeaway of this conversation. I want it to be the takeaway for each of us, and I want it to be the takeaway for anyone listening for the future of them seeing and interacting with art. Just absorb it, connect with it, respect it. If you want to critique or critique it, but don't be don't be like, you should have rhymed this with this, like yeah. you see in Royce's comments sometimes. I would not want to be podcasting with anyone else. Thank you for podcasting with me. Thank you for agreeing to do that. Thank you for listening to me talk about it for five years before we <laughs> actually did it. And thank you for doing this interview. I think it's great. Well, it's my pleasure. And again, you're my bro. Who else am I going to podcast with? I have yeah. to say recording my podcast alone, like it is kind of a lonely thing and you're in your head, but when you can bounce off of someone, I mean, maybe the viewers don't know it at home who listen to Krypton Alderaan week by week. Thank you, by the way. We yeah. appreciate you. But you are the glue, though, you know? I feel like I'll ham it up. It's like you said, like, I'm confident or whatever. I'm not. I ham it up to make myself feel good. And then you bring it back home. So it's the dyad in the force. Man, I don't like that part of, <laughs> <laughs> of the sequels. But you know what I mean? Like, again, we're that band. We're band yeah. of brothers, a unit. And that's, that's why it works, dude. I couldn't do it without you either. Yep. Yes. Thanks, everyone, for listening. That's it. The end. Smash cut. <laughs>